Does talking about your money make you cringe? Are you tired of fighting about finances? Do you want to stop sabotaging your financial happiness? Then you are in the right place. Welcome to Breaking Money Silence, a podcast series aimed at helping all of us talk more openly about money. Your host, Kathleen Burns Kingsbury, is doing what she does best. As a young girl, she was scolded for talking too much to her neighbors in class. After years of trying to be quiet, she discovered that speaking up about taboo topics is her strength. International speaker, author, and founder of KBK Wealth Connection, Kathleen understands money and our relationship with it. She is a wealth psychology expert who has helped thousands of advisors and clients communicate more effectively about money. Now, listen to Kathleen as she assists today's guest in busting their favorite money myth wide open. I am so excited today to welcome Erin Bagwell. She's the founder of Feminist Wednesday, a feminist storytelling blog, and the director of a movie that I had the opportunity to see called Dream Girl. It's a documentary film showcasing the stories of inspiring and ambitious female entrepreneurs, so you know that's right up my alley. Uh, Dream Girl uh, premiered actually May 2016 at the White House, and through Erin's work with the film, was named um, on Oprah's Super Soul 100, Dream Girl is now avail- available to public uh, for the public screenings, and was the number one feminist film to watch by Huffington Post. So when I saw this film, I said to myself, I have got to find out who these two women are. Erin uh, Bagwell is one of those women. And later on uh, in the uh, month, we will have uh, Kamel, um, somebody who was in the film as well. So welcome, Erin, to the podcast. I'm excited to have you here today. Thanks so much for having me. I'm so excited to chat with you. Yeah, so you picked a myth that we haven't covered before, and I'm really excited um, to get to it. So the myth that you want to kind of bust wide open today certainly does fit with uh, who you are. It's to be a true artist, you must starve. Or in other words, you know, the starving artist syndrome. Mm -hmm. So Erin, tell the listeners a little bit about, you know, what motivated you to pick this myth and and, um, really choose to focus on that today? Well, to be honest, I think it's something that I believed for a really long time. You know, I think we hear about the starving artists, you know, and even historically, we think about artists like Van Gogh, who suffered their whole life and never got recognized until, you know, he died. Um, We have all of these myths kind of that prevail in our culture. And it's really interesting, actually. I, I remember being maybe in like middle school and one of my aunts, who's really artistic, you know, we were talking about the starving artist myth or, you know, she was asking me what I wanted to do. And I probably said something like, you know, I want to be an artist, but I want to make money because those two ideas were so conflicting in my brain. And she was like, Aaron, look around you. You know, we're in this restaurant. You know, the menu was designed by somebody. These chairs were designed by somebody. The menu was designed. Um, Artists are everywhere. And I think we're doing such a disservice to people to have people associate being creative and being artistic with being scarce. And I think there is a lot of conversation around kind of the integrity of the art and things like that. And you have to suffer for it to be good. And um, I don't know. I think that's I think it's really harmful. And I think it's really harmful for creative people to hold that in their hearts. 
Well, and one of the things that's really fascinating is you had an aunt who was able to show you early on that that wasn't necessarily the case. And that's, that's really cool. I think role models can make a big difference. Where do you think this originated? The, the idea that to be an artist or to be creative, you have to struggle and suffer and, you know, I, and certainly a myth that we're all familiar with, but any idea how this got started? I mean, I really think the, the stories that we hear about of great artists are that they were poor and are that they suffered. You know, I mentioned Van Gogh. I mean, to think about like his whole life, you know, him doing these iconic paintings that, you know, if we see them now, they're on posters, they're everywhere. Um, I even think he has like a pasta line that somebody has rebranded. But he didn't sell a piece of art until he died. And I think when you learn those stories that these great masters um, never got recognized, I think it's half that that's our history. And then I think it's half that you know, we don't value art and we don't value the craftsmanship in the same way that we value maybe being a doctor or a lawyer. Um, You know, the weight of that is really different. I remember graduating from um, college with a digital media arts degree and doing graphic design work and, you know, working on logos and working on websites and having people say like, well, you know, I'll give you 20 bucks for that. You know, after I'd spent four years tech in a technical program learning how to, you know, design all of these curves and create these, you know, images originally. So I think we don't value art in society. And I think, you know, we do have a lot of baggage with historically the artist's experience. You know, they're always kind of troubled or, you know, poor. And so that, again, that starving, you know, vibe is always kind of always trails us. Yeah, it's a kind of, it's a romanticizing, you know, poverty, which um, is not very romantic if anybody's (laughs) ever experienced it. And, you know, it's interesting because it's kind of like breaking money silence. The idea that we're not supposed to talk about money has such a long standing history. And the idea that if you go into a certain profession, today we're talking about being an artist and being creative, that somehow that's valued less than being in finance or, um, you know, being in business. And, and it is unfortunate because, you know, as somebody who writes books and, and can't draw a stick figure, I can tell you <laughs> it's definitely a worthwhile uh, thing to be able to uh, create uh, in a visual medium. Um, so, but what's the upside before we talk about the downside for the artists or for p- people who are listening in that, you know, have creative people in their lives? What do you think they're I mean, what do you think? Is there an upside to this idea that you have to be a starving artist? Is there anything in it for anybody? You know, that's such an interesting um, way to flip it. And I think there is, I don't know, I, I kind of feel anchored to the idea of the myth of integrity is something that kind of comes up for me when I think of that myth, you know, that the work almost should be a reward enough. And I know that that's something that artists struggle with and people that I did, I wrote an an ebook called Creative Money to kind of dive into some of these artistic narratives that block us. And I think because what artists do comes from such a place of passion, it's really hard to put a monetary value on that. And I hear that, you know, I think when we're producing from such a place of like the depths of our souls, it is really hard to, you know, turn around and and try to monetize it. It's, it feels very disconnected. Yeah. Um, So I understand kind of, I guess the upside might be that like, it doesn't need to fulfill you in that way. I think doing the art is for me, you know, such a rewarding part of the process. Um, But I know the businesswoman in the back of my brain is going like, (laughs) you deserve to be paid, you deserve, you know, to have your, your value and your worth, 
you know, be in a monetary way and that that's okay. So I don't know. Yeah, no, that, that is interesting. And so you said you wrote a book called Creative Money? I did. Yeah, it's a 70 page ebook. Um, and it's all about, you know, I worked on Dream Girl for two and a half years. I produced the documentary, I wrote, I directed, I edited, I did all the things. Um, and then afterwards, it was like, oh, what do we do with it now? And now I had to step into this role as a salesperson and as a manager and as a distributor. And it felt so uncomfortable. And I really resented, you know, this new role. And um, instead of kind of looking at it as a place of privilege to be able to connect with my audience, I really fought it for a long time. Um, and I don't know, I, I think over trial and error and over connecting with my hosts and figuring out the language and making it work for me and my personality um, really opened me up to, okay, it's okay to talk about sales. It's okay to, you know, not give discounts. I had to figure out the hard way, all of the, you know, the right and the wrong way to do it. And this is kind of the ebook is basically a gift I would give somebody who was going to embark on a sales process because I wish that I knew, you know, that it was okay to set boundaries. And I wish I knew it was okay to, um, to, to not be okay with some of the discomfort that it brings. I think I always kind of was shaming or punishing myself for not being able to just, you know, be the salesperson, but I'm so connected to the work that it, you can't, it's really hard. Brene Brown um, talks a lot about kind of walking the line of discomfort when we go and create. Yeah, no, inter very interesting. And I um, certainly will make sure that anybody who wants to know more about that ebook um, can have that information uh, when we post this particular, uh, podcast. So obviously there's a downside. And as you were talking about some of the discomfort and, and, you know, thinking about promoting your film, you know, I'm wondering what is the downside in your opinion? And also, do you think it's stronger, uh, for women than it is for men or is it across gender? You know, it's so funny. Whenever I have sales questions, I ask my girlfriends and I get their advice on pricing or how much they would charge for something. And then I always ask a straight white male. And <laughs> 10 out of 10, he always doubles or triples my price. Wow. And it's so fascinating because it's, it's, we're, it's such a different space. And also kind of the language we use to talk around about money is so different. Um, and so I've had to kind of balance what I feel comfortable with for our pricing, you know, what's affordable for our audience. I would also say, you know, I come from a, a space of producing a movie about women. Um, a lot of people assume I'm a nonprofit. They don't understand why I would want to make money off of something that's supposed to be inspiring or empowering. So I also have a lot of um, people assign a lot of myths to me in what I do. And that's also quite a struggle to figure out um, the perception. And I think women specifically have a bit of a scarcity um, loop that happens because women's communities and networks, in my experience, don't make a lot of money. They don't raise a lot of money. They don't think about money in the same way that men's companies or nonprofits do. And so I think we're kind of just creating this loop of scarcity, which is pretty destructive when you're trying to make money. Absolutely. And, you know, I can really identify being a paid professional speaker and also, uh, you know, a book writer, that there is yeah. a way in which uh, when I am um, engaged in a negotiation with a company uh, that is primarily men, or at least there's some men in the mix, the conversation about money isn't, are you going to get paid? It's more, what are you going to get paid? Whereas mm -hmm. uh, for women only events, there's always a question of, oh, well, it would just be a nice thing for you to do because you're a woman. 
Um, yeah. And I do think, and, and I feel very strongly um, that what you're doing and what I'm doing is role modeling that, yes, of course, women deserve to get paid. And we don't need to, whether it's starve for our art or just starve because of our gender, um, that that's really wrong. And so each time I'm uncomfortable and kind of have to say no, uh, when maybe there's part of my little female brain that wants to say yes, <laughs> um, because I want to be liked, that I just remind myself, you are role modeling to the women beside you and behind you that, you know, we deserve an equal wage. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's tricky. It's it's definitely an ongoing conversation. So we are here right now with Erin Bagwell. She is the founder of Feminist Wednesday and also uh, the director of Dream Girls, a documentary film. We're going to be back in a minute. and We're going to talk a little bit with her about what tips she might have if you are listening and you're an artist and you decide, I don't want to starve anymore. Did you know that 44% of Americans would rather talk about politics, religion, and death than personal finance? And there's a real cost to this money silence, to society, your family, and the next generation. Kathleen Burns Kingsbury's new book, Breaking Money Silence, How to Shatter Money Taboos, Talk More Openly About Finances, and Live a Richer Life, explores the history of the money talk taboo and offers readers practical tips and tools for engaging in healthy financial communication. Pick up your copy today. Breaking Money Silence is available on Amazon and bookstores everywhere. Join the revolution at www.breakingmoneysilence.com. Hi, we are back with Erin Bagwell. She's the founder of Feminist Wednesday, which is a blog that I encourage you to check out. She's also the director of a great documentary film called Dream Girl. And before the break, we were talking a little bit about um, the downside of buying into the myth that you know you need to um, starve if you're going to be a true artist or true to your art. And so I want to flip the conversation now and talk about what are the tips and tools or what are the suggestions you can give people who are listening in that find that they might fall into this mindset? And keep in mind, um, just for people who are listening, it may be that you're an artist or it may be just that somehow you've grown up with the idea that you shouldn't really make a lot of money for what you do, whatever that may be. So Erin, what are some tips that you would offer listeners? Yeah, I mean, I would say the first thing is talking about money gets easier the more you do it. And I would say, you know, when I get on a sales call, it's a thousand degrees different than when I first started. And so I think you kind of just got to jump in the pool and figure it out and figure out how to talk about it and have it be okay that it's uncomfortable in the beginning um, and have it be a learning experience. Uh, I would also say, you know, when I feel a little bit insecure or like maybe my worth or the value of the work I'm doing isn't strong enough or isn't valuable enough kind of having a, a tribe that support you, that believe in you, that is there to say like, hey, you should be charging more or hey, I think your product is really valuable. I think the work you're doing is really worthy. I think who you surround yourself with during this process is, is very important because you're in a very vulnerable state. Um, so don't try to be a hero. You know, so like get all of the empowerment, inspiration, you know, kind of you need to trick yourself into being um, the salesperson that you need to be. In Creative Money, I talk about creating your sales ego um, so when I get on sales calls, I try to channel like a Miss Piggy Reese Witherspoon energy. <laughs> That's like my combination of like more of my outgoing extroverted side of my personality. Um, and Miss Piggy doesn't give discounts. Um, she doesn't work for free. She has um, a lot of strict guidelines and standards because she knows her worth. 
Um, and so sometimes it's helpful too to like, what is your sales persona? Like, what are people? What do you need to channel or step into? I think we can kind of like create tools that work, you know, for us individually. I love. That. I also I love the Miss Piggy because that is so true. She's such a diva <laughs> in a fun way, and that's a fun way to kind of approach it. Uh, sorry to interrupt you. I just I had to respond because I've never heard that before, and I love it. Oh, no, no. Yeah. I, I think in my brain, it's all about trying to make the process fun and interesting and and creative. I mean, that's like the, the base of like where I fi- find work. You know, even when I get sales emails now, like if I make a sale online, I get an image like Miss Piggy is on my hero image just to kind of reinforce that. Um, and then I would say something that was really life changing for me in my business was creating and structuring time to do finances. So that means like every Thursday morning, I set aside an hour to two hours to go through my books, to set goals, to make sure I'm on track, to update like all my whiteboards um, and diving into the discomfort, diving into the numbers, you know, making sure you're figuring out your sales goals and like the money that you might need to save because in my business, it's all seasonal. So, you know, next month being March, my busiest month of the year. Um, after March, it kind of dies down in the spring. In the summer, it's dead. So if I'm not saving money in anticipation for that, then I'm not going to be able to pay my rent in the summer. So understanding kind of seasonal sales, I think is really important too. Well, and what I really like, I mean, I like all of those tips, but I really like the idea of putting time aside on your calendar to look at your finances. And it's one of the things that I find uh, men and women, I would say entrepreneurs, uh, can you can so easily find something else to do for that hour. So how Keep mm-hmm. that commitment with yourself. Is it that you put it on the calendar and you're the type of person that if it's there, I'm going to do it? Um, do you have accountability partners? Like what has helped you do that? Because that's such an important tip for people who are listening in. Yeah, I have it on my calendar. And then the other thing is I use uh, QuickBooks to be able to sort my finances and my expenses. So if I haven't been in QuickBooks for you know a week or two, basically you have to itemize your expenses. And so it adds and builds up. So if I want to save myself work next week, I'm going to make sure I stay on top of it. Um, and I find that that program specific, specifically or a program like FreshBooks, like having something where you have to kind of itemize and look at it and sort it so you're actively doing something helps. You know, if you're just kind of scrolling through your bank account, that's not going to be super helpful, I don't think. Well, and and so you are doing the exact opposite of what a starving artist does by being mindful, by trying to embrace your sales persona and making sure that you're working at this part of the, you know, your creative endeavors. And so um, what would you say is the reality? Like if we were to reframe the myth to be a true artist, you must starve. Aaron, what would be the new sentence or the new reframe for that? I mean, I like to think of like an abundant artist. You know, I think it's so funny that like as artists, we can step into the creative spaces and, you know, the world kind of becomes our muse. And it's so easy for us to make something out of nothing. And I think we need to give ourselves a little bit more credit that we can do that with our finances, that we can kind of step into these spaces and own that power and manifest money. I think as artists, we have an ability to tap into something and we need to be able to kind of spread that wealth into different areas of our life. You know, Aaron, I absolutely loved your movie and I love what you're saying today. And I am learning along with the audience. So this is really great. I just am thrilled that you are out there doing the work that you're doing. I'm wondering for somebody who's listening that either wants to see the film or check out the book or, or know more about kind of what you're up to, what's the best way to reach out and connect with you and learn more? 
Yeah, I mean, I would say follow me on Instagram. It's Erin.Bagwell. And um, I post all of the things. I'm always working on something. I, I also host a podcast called Beaver Talk, where I give Hollywood unsolicited advice about feminism with my bestie, uh, Diana Matthews. Um, post stuff about creative money. We post things that are happening with Dream Girl. Um, that's, so that would be the number one way to follow me. I'm like obsessed with Instagram. <laughs> Um, and then if people are interested in seeing Dream Girl, you know, our screening license fees are $295 per event. And with that, you get a hard copy of the film, you get a screening license to be able to show it publicly or privately. And then we also provide a 24 page digital Q&A guidebook so you can facilitate conversations after the film. And we promote your event on our social media. So it's an awesome package that you can get to, you know, bring to your networking events, communities, universities, living room. So you can find all that information at dreamgirlfilm.com. Awesome. Thank you so much for your time today and for your work. And I can't wait to see what kind of abundance you create in the future. Thank you. Thanks so much for chatting. Thank you for listening to Breaking Money Silence, hosted by Kathleen Burns Kingsbury, a wealth psychology expert and founder of KBK Wealth Connection. If you like what you heard, then check out more podcasts at breakingmoneysilence.com or subscribe on iTunes.com. Need a fun, engaging speaker for your next event? Go to kbkwealthconnection.com and find out how to book Kathleen today. Be sure to share today's show so together we can break money silence for good.